John uh, 1, 35 to 50. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andy. Let me just read again that final verse. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let me pray. Father, we pray you'd open our eyes that we indeed might see See what Jesus spoke of in those words. Reveal your son to us, please, um, for his name's sake. Amen. Well, at last, finally, we get to meet Jesus. Last four weeks, we've been looking at this opening chapter of John's Gospel, and we've been told lots about Jesus, amazing things about him. Before Christmas, we saw how John takes us right back to the beginning, before creation, and speaks of the eternal word who was with God and who was God. And John said that word was coming into the world, was going to be made flesh. Last time, last Sunday, we read about John the Baptist, who says, but essentially, it's it's not me. It's him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Suspense has been building. And here, finally, we meet Jesus. And it's almost an anticlimax after all that's been said so far. It seems rather mundane, this entrance. We see Jesus meeting five very ordinary people. 
in five very ordinary lives. It's rather ordinary. We might think, what's there to see here? But notice how John begins this chunk with repeating John the Baptist's words. Look, look, the Lamb of God. And it's as though John, the author of this gospel, is saying to us as the readers, look, look. And he uses a very strong word, actually. It's it's sort of an intensive word. It, It implies fix your eyes on him. And actually the language of looking and of seeing comes throughout this passage. Come and see is the invitation that Jesus makes to those two disciples that that Philip makes to his friend Nathaniel. It's John's invitation throughout the section, really. He's saying to us, look, come and see. And it builds up to this amazing climax, that final verse, where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, throughout this this opening chapter, there have have been lots of amazing things said about Jesus. But this is the first claim Jesus makes about himself. He's going to make a lot of wonderful claims in John's gospel. But this is the first. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened. Angels of God ascending and descending on the sun. Of man. So John's saying to us in this section, look, come and see. And maybe some of us here are like those five ordinary people that are mentioned, don't yet know a lot about Jesus. Lots of questions, lots of doubts you might have. And John is saying to you, come and see. But most of us here have come, have looked, and have already seen. Some of you have been Christians for more than 50 years. And maybe you might be tempted to think, do I still need to be told to look? Do I still need to hear this sort of message, come and see? And I want to say, yes, you do. I definitely do. John is wanting to show us Jesus. And in our section, he says to us, as we look, if you like, what will we see? Well, he says, you'll see one who fulfills our longings, who knows our hearts, and who brings God's presence. I'm going to use those headings to sort of steer our way through the passage. So first, what will we see as we we look to Jesus? We'll see one who fulfills our longings. When John the Baptist told his two of his disciples, look, the, the Lamb of God, they kind of take the hint and they start following after Jesus. And Jesus, we're told, turns and says, verse, uh, verse 38, what do you want? Well, I don't think he said it quite like that, probably. I think he probably was saying, what do you want They're the first words of Jesus that John records for us. The eternal word that John's spoken of has now stepped onto the stage. And these are his first lines that John gives him. 
And in one sense, it seems rather mundane. You might wonder, why does John bother to record this little bit of dialogue between Jesus and these two disciples? I take it John records it because he sees significance in these words beyond simply their sort of superficial meaning. What do you want? What are you searching after? That's the question John is wanting us, the readers, to ponder. It's the question he's saying Jesus would put to each of us. What do you want? Seems these two disciples didn't really know how to answer. Perhaps after what John the Baptist had told them, they should have said, oh, we're looking for the lamb. We, 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 we want forgiveness. We want a saviour. That's what we want. But actually, they weren't ready to say that yet. They just say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And I guess the sense is, well, what do we want? We, we'd just like to hang out with you. We'd like to spend some time with you. And graciously, Jesus replies, come and you will see. Yes, see where he's staying. But again, surely, John records those words because he sees more significance in them. Yeah, come, Jesus says to us, come with your uncertainties, not really sure what you're wanting, what I'm offering. Come and you will see. Well, these two spend the rest of the day with him. We're not told what they talked about, what Jesus said, but clearly it had a a, a pretty big impression. So verse 41, look down to that. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Literally, the anointed one. It spoke of, in the Old Testament, of God's promised king. The one who would put all things right, who would bring to our messed up, broken world justice and righteousness and peace. People had all kinds of different ideas exactly what that would look like, what this Messiah would do. Many at the time might have thought he'd he'd be a political liberator, he'd kick out the Romans. Lots of different ideas. But from the Old Testament scriptures, the Messiah was essentially the one God had encouraged them to pin their hopes on. The one who who would fulfill our deepest, truest longings and dreams. Philip comes to the same conclusion the following day. He, He meets Jesus, or Jesus meets him, says, follow me, and then he immediately wants to go and uh, tell his friend, uh, Nathaniel. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's the one that all the scriptures have been pointing us to. He is the one who fulfills the promises of God, who fulfills the longings of God's people. That's clear. These disciples, at this point, don't have any more than a very, very shallow understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. That becomes clear as we read on in, in John. It's very clear in the other Gospels, too. It's, it's some time yet 
before they really grasp what it is for him to be Messiah. But they just have some sense, it seems, John's saying, that he is the one who fulfills our longings and hopes. So I think John is saying to us as he writes this, what will we see when we come to Jesus? Well, we will see one in whom our deepest longings, our truest longings are met. This is the one, whether we know it or not, we are waiting for. He is the answer to our hopes. Let me put that question to you. What do you really want? Maybe we don't know quite how to answer that question. We'd like the world to be a better place. We'd like ourselves to be better people. Maybe we have a sense that the thing we spend so much of our time and energy doing, trying to attain, is is maybe not the thing we really want. And John says, come, come to Jesus, and you will see that in him our deepest longings are met. He fulfills our truest hopes, the hopes that God had put in our hearts in the Old Testament, the promises he had given to us. Again, many of us here have been Christians a long time. But I guess for all of us, we start a new year still with lots of things we want, with unfulfilled longings, with dissatisfaction in all kinds of ways in our hearts. And John is saying, come to Jesus, for in the truest sense, our longings are to be met in him. Even as Christians, we are still prone to look in all the wrong places for our hopes to be met. John wants us to know, no, he, Jesus, is the bread that will truly satisfy our hunger. He is the one who gives the living water that will truly quench our thirst. As you come to Jesus, you'll see that he is the one who fulfills our longings. The first thing John says. Secondly, he says, we'll see the one who knows our hearts. First thing that Andrew does after that conversation with Jesus is to find his brother Simon to bring him to Jesus. And it's a lovely, we're told very little about Andrew in the other Gospels. John tells us the most. And strikingly, every time he's mentioned in John's Gospel, he is bringing someone to Jesus. Clearly, he wasn't the, the sort of prominent leader that his brother was to become. He may not have had all the same gifts that Peter, his brother, had. What a wonderful example he is of just, if you like, an ordinary believer. That's what he did do. He brought people to Jesus. And he brings his brother, verse uh, 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Striking. There's no need for... Introductions. Jesus, let me introduce my brother. Jesus knows him, knows who he is, knows where he's from, knows all that he would be. 
very strange. It's not just... Um, it's not, it's not just like meeting someone for the first time and them saying to you, your, your name's uh, Michael, I know that, but I'm going to call you Frank, and that's your name. But it's, it's not as, it's, that's not quite what's going on, just giving him a new name. This name, Cephas, he gives him, Peter, is because of what it means, and you'll see if you can read the tiny print at the bottom of the page, there's a footnote, which explains that both Cephas and Peter mean rock. And actually, if you read on about Peter in this gospel and the other gospels, you might say that's not a particularly obvious name to give him, not a particularly suitable name. He's hardly steady. He was a strong person, it seems, but he's hardly a kind of steady person. He was impetuous. And at the end of Jesus' life, this rock crumbles to sand when some little slave girl quizzes him. And uh, he, he crumbles. But Jesus sees what no one else can see. And he sees what he would become. Actually, what the person he was made to be, who he most truly is. And he says, yeah, you're Peter, the rock. And then John shows us the same sort of thing happening with Nathaniel. Having met Jesus, Phillips excitedly goes to get his friend and says, we've found the one. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's clearly pretty skeptical. He says, verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nazareth was just another tiddly place, a place of no significance. No one famous was from Nazareth. Actually, um, Nathaniel was from Cana, which is another little tiddly village a few miles away. And maybe he's just saying, look, great people don't come from Pity little places like where you and I live. I mean, it's, it's, it's nonsense. But Philip says, come and see. And Nathaniel does. Then verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. It doesn't mean someone who's never told a lie. He, he just means here is someone who is Honest, who says what he thinks. Nazareth, I don't think good come out of Nazareth. Someone who's uh, open-minded. He was willing to come and see. That's what Jesus says. You might think there's nothing greatly significant in that, or an odd thing to say maybe, but Philip doesn't just say, oh, that's very kind of you. Uh, sorry, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's response is, how do you know me? That's what strikes him, a sense that here is someone who knows him. And then Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And clearly to Nathaniel, that was knowledge that was utterly supernatural. It prompts him to say, um, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. This was extraordinary knowledge. Nathaniel is struck by that Jesus has of him. And what's John's point in, in sort of making the same thing in, in both cases? Well, John seems to be saying to us, come to Jesus and you will find the one who knows you completely. He knows your past, who knows your present, who knows your future, everything you do, everywhere you go. Even your private thoughts, 
he knows. There's just a hint, maybe, that Jesus knows that under his fig tree, Nathaniel has been pondering the story of Jacob. That may be slightly behind the little dialogue because Jacob was the deceiver, the cheat. That's what his name meant. And uh, he was renamed Israel. And he's the one who has the vision that's referred to in verse 51. Maybe that's slightly the hint that Jesus is the one who knows even what's going on in our heads. He knows our thoughts, our fears, our battles, our failures. He knows our guilt and our shame. Jesus knows us, I think John would have us know, as surely as he knew Simon Peter or Nathaniel. And that might be a slightly uncomfortable thing to be so completely known. Maybe it makes some of us rather hesitant to come to Jesus. But actually, isn't one of the longings of all of our hearts to be known by someone, truly known? I scarcely feel I know or understand myself. But wonderfully, Jesus knows me perfectly. It's a wonderful thing. He knew me before the creation of the world, in the beginning, before anything was. He knew me. He's the one, as the psalmist said, who has searched me and knows me. All I am, all I will be, all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. It's a precious truth to find the one who knows you completely. And that's what John seems to be saying. To come to Jesus is to come to one who knows us, who knows our hearts. And then thirdly, come to Jesus. He's the one who who brings God's presence. Nathaniel is sort of blown away by this knowledge Jesus seems to have of him. And then Jesus says, verse 50, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. You ain't seen anything yet, he says. He then added, very truly, I tell you. That sort of becomes a sort of characteristic phrase of Jesus before he says things of particular significance and importance. It's a phrase that should make us want to sit up and, and listen. And actually that you there, which again your footnote would tell you, it's you plural. He's not just speaking to Nathaniel now. He's speaking to us. All those who might come and follow and believe. Truly, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open. Or more literally, opened. The sense is not that we just get a quick glimpse and then the door is very quickly slammed shut again. The sense is of the door of heaven being flung open. Heaven opened. It's the language of revelation. God no longer a kind of stranger behind a, a shut door. But being able to know him, to draw near to him, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
And that's a reference, a quotation, from something that happened in the life of Jacob, who was uh, one of the patriarchs, the grandson of Abraham, whose 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And it happened at a low point in Jacob's life. He'd just tricked his brother out of um, his father's blessing, and his brother Esau now wanted to kill him. So Jacob has had to go on the run. He's had to leave his home, his family, even about to leave uh, the promised land. He's all alone. Night falls. He sleeps under the stars, a, pillar, uh, a stone for a pillow. And we're told, this is in Genesis 28, he had a dream. And it was a dream of a ladder or stairway which went from where he was all the way up to heaven. And there were angels going up and down this ladder. And then God came and stood above him, beside him. And God speaks to him, comforting words. Words of gracious promise. And when Jacob woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome this place is, he says. This is the house of God, the, the gate of heaven. Now, Jesus' words, though, he just changed it slightly. You'll see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder now, but on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am the ladder, if you like, that connects earth and heaven. I'm the one who brings God near to you. I am the place where now you meet with God, the house of God. I'm the gate of heaven. Later in this gospel, he will say, I'm the, the gate. I'm the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what's being claimed here. Jesus doesn't say, you want to know how to be, get back in touch with God. You want some connection between you and the divine. Well, do this or go there. No, he says, I am the one. I am the one who brings God to you. and Who can bring you to God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He brings God's presence and grace. Now, we might say, when, when exactly did Nathaniel see this? When was heaven suddenly opened and he saw all these angels of God apparently going up and down from Jesus? It's not obvious. Maybe you think, maybe could it have been the transfiguration, that bizarre vision that some of the disciples had? But um, John doesn't actually mention the transfiguration in his gospel, and Nathaniel wasn't one of the disciples who was there. I think for John especially, it's at the cross that the glory of Jesus was, he says, revealed to us. There especially, Jesus is shown to be the Lamb that John the Baptist pointed to. There at the cross, he reconnected us wonderfully, reconciled us to God. As John says, to us, to those who read this gospel, come and see. And he's going to spend half the book, really, 
taking us to the cross. That's where he wants to bring us. There we will see heaven opened and the angels of God, as it were, descending on the Son of Man, the welcome of the Father being extended to us. Come, follow me, and you'll see one who fulfills our longings, who knows our hearts, brings God's presence. And that's Jesus' invitation to each one of us, come. But also it's the invitation we are to take to the world. You see throughout, that's, the, that's what happens. John the Baptist starts it as he points his disciples to Jesus. Andrew brings his brother Simon. Philip going to tell Nathaniel. And if you like, it's our turn now. The world needs to hear this invitation. Come and see. It's interesting how John keeps translating the, the sort of Aramaic words. Rabbi, he says, means teacher. He says um, Messiah, that is the Christ, verse 41. And again, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. John gives the sense that he, the world needs to know of this. All need to hear. And we don't have to be especially gifted, especially knowledgeable. Like, there's lots that Andrew and Philip didn't yet understand. They simply said, come, come and see. And wouldn't it be wonderful if each one of us had opportunity this year to say to a friend, to a colleague, come and see. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't be that something to pray for that opportunity to happen this term? Come and see. Not because it's, it's our sort of duty as, as Christians. Not because the church will want lots of people to fill up their events. But because of what we've found. We have found the one who fulfills our longings. Who knows our hearts. And who brings God's presence. Let me pray. Father, indeed, may that invitation come and see, be one we are, please, enabled to pass on these coming weeks and months. Please use us. But help us, too, to keep coming. And pray more and more you'd help us see all that Jesus is, how he fulfills the deepest, truest longings of our hearts, how he knows us completely, and how wonderfully he connects us to you, brings us to you. We thank you for him. Amen.